when you're ready. Let's start this game. to Unstacked and Let's Unwind with New York Times and international best-selling author Madeline Martin. Let's find out about her writing process and newest novel, The Keeper of Hidden Books. Hey, this is Sarah from the Bay County Public Library. Hey, this is Stephen from the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library. And hey, this is Madeline Martin. Um, it's so great to join you guys. So a little bit about me. Um, I am a mom. I am a cat mom. Uh, I love research. I love travel. I love history. Pretty much a nerd of all three of those things. And I live in sunny Florida. I um, write historical fiction novels set during World War II. And before that, um, I actually was writing romance. So I have historical romance that goes from medieval castles all the way through uh, Regency ballrooms. And can you introduce our listeners to your new novel releasing on August 1st, The Keeper of Hidden Books? Yes, thank you. So The Keeper of Hidden Books um, actually was inspired by the true events that happened with Warsaw's public librarians during the Nazi occupation. When the Nazis came into Poland, one of the things they really wanted to do was completely get rid of all Polish culture. They really wanted to just completely like beat the spirit out of everybody. And one way that they did that was by destroying books, closing libraries, closing museums, you know, really looting a lot of the artwork and, uh, you know, historical documents and, and books. The librarians went through and, and really did risk their lives to try to save the books that they could. And uh, in addition to also people as well, trying to, to help as many people as they could as well. So this, this is kind of that story. And it was such a, it's a darker tale than I would have thought. I didn't, I haven't read any World War II set in Poland. And I was like, man, that is one of the worst, worst places. Yeah, it was, um, it definitely, the research was, was really, really very difficult just because there were so many horrible things that I read about. Um, I really did try very hard not to focus on being gratuitous or, or really like, you know, expanding on too terribly much, as much of the cruelty. Um, but the most important thing that I had really wanted to shine through was the ferocity of that Polish spirit, the way that people never stopped fighting, you know, the bravery that really did come through despite those horrible times and the risks that people faced. How do you go about balancing the historical accuracy of what your research finds with uh, the creative liberties that are required when you're writing these kind of stories? Um, so because I do love history so much, I really do try so hard to make sure that I stick as true to history as possible. I've never really been one of those authors that will tweak a plot um, or tweak history to conform to my plot. It's really kind of the other way around. Um, so I, I do about 10 months worth of research for this particular book. I read um, or I, you know, I used about um, over 100 nonfiction books. I went to Warsaw for two weeks and did research and ended up with like over 15 spiral bound notebooks that were completely filled with handwritten notes. And so it is difficult at some points to be like, okay, what unfortunately cannot be included and what can be included. So it isn't so much the difficulty that I have in balancing the fact and fiction, because ultimately my protagonist ends up being fictional and, and the people around her end up being fictional. 
but a lot of the personalities, a lot of what they've gone through, and um, a lot of really what makes those people at their core and the things that happen to them are really all based off of actual things that I've read about in my historical research. The hardest part is figuring out what parts of the history are maybe a little bit too intense as, as far as like getting a little bit too wordy and, oh, okay, I'm going into a little bit too much detail here. Um, and what really I, it's important for me to, to keep in there, especially covering the war as it's onset in September 1939, going all the way through May 1945. And the fact that you do such a deep dive into your researches, especially like the firsthand accounts, is one of the reasons why I love your writing. Mm -hmm. Is there any true stories that you stumbled across where you were like, I have to weave this somehow into the plot? Well, you know, honestly, the whole angle with the librarians really was the biggest part of that. So I knew that I'd wanted to write about Poland, you know, and the funny thing is because my, my family is from Poland, like from like the 1800s, um, you know, came to America. So I always wanted to learn a little bit more about my heritage. Although now knowing that my family is from Poznan and researching Warsaw, it's kind of like saying my family was from North America, but they're American and the other ones are Canadians. You know, it's it's like such a huge difference between those two. But um, so I knew I wanted to write about Poland. And, and especially because the, the Polish resistance was one of the most organized ones during World War II. And um, so I thought, oh, this is this is really incredible. I mean, they had they even had like an underground judging, uh, like an underground court system that would actually try people in abstantia. And then they had an execution crew who would go and actually execute those people who were convicted of Nazi cruelty and um, and just really atrocious, uh, horrible things like corroborators and that kind of thing. So, I mean, this was a very, very like, you know, they had the underground schools and everything. So, so I knew I wanted to incorporate that. And I had this whole idea of, of like two POVs. It was going to be Yanina and Zofia. And I was halfway through writing that book when I found those amazing documents that the librarians had recorded of their efforts and saving books and having a hidden warehouse and having these like secret libraries and when all the libraries were closed. And I, I didn't even think about it. I threw everything out that I had written, although it did hurt. And I completely started over from scratch. And I just started writing that book, the, the Keeper of Hidden Books, as it was. And this one is also very, like, it starts with action. Like, I feel like your other two titles, you just kind of ease into it. You learn the setting. And this one, you're like, you're going from the get-go. Yeah, I had to because there was no room. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so obviously you... As you said, you just do a whole bunch of the stuff out and start it over. What is that writing editing process like normally for you? Um, so, you know, well, and I always start off with a really detailed plot. Um, like I know, you know, I, I always like to joke that I'm so type A. I'm Times New Roman 12 point font. And so I really do like to have a very, very detailed outline of everything that I know is going to happen. So it's almost chapter by chapter. So um, and I do the same thing with my characters before um, I before I write anything. I always have to have my characters completely plotted out. And so, um, you know, I had, it was really hard because with, with two, when you have two POV characters, they can offset one another really well. And Sophia's character was actually a little bit harder, but after I got rid of Yanina's character as a POV character, I had to really soften Sophia up a little bit more so that she wasn't, you know, too harsh on the page without that offset. So, I mean, I really had to go back to square one and completely rebuild this entire book before I could even actually start writing it. So um, fortunately, my my publisher was very nice and let me have an extra month because I needed it. <laughs> so 
So kind of expanding on that, how do you approach crafting those complex and empowered female characters in a historical setting? Um, so, well, and thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> so one of the most important parts of building a character for me is the research that goes into the entire country beforehand. So I don't just research. I actually don't even draw out my character before until right before I do my plot. I usually really do about 10 months worth of research before I even really draw up my characters. I'll have an idea of what I may want them to be. But when I start digging into my research, I don't just look at the World War II setting. I look at the entire history of the country. And, and from that is really where I sort of get a feel for my character. What have they lived through? What have their parents and maybe their grandparents lived through? You know, because we really are the sum of all of those parts, right? And so they are no different. And, and so in formulating these characters, um, you know, like, for example, with Sophia's character um, being in Poland, you know, they were occupied by Russia for over, you know, 120 years. They had just gotten their independence after the Great War with the Treaty of Versailles in 1918. So when the Nazis came and occupied in 1939, they had just celebrated 20 years of independence. And then even after the Nazi occupation, the Soviets occupied them until 1990. Um, they didn't occupy them, but they were still, you know, in charge. And so, so, you know, looking at Zofia being Polish, knowing that these generations of people before her had fought for freedom, and she was really almost like in this bubble of freedom, right? Her and her friends had been born in this tiny little section of freedom and, and like, you know, centuries of occupation. And so, of course, I thought, okay, well, she's going to be rebellious and a little feisty. And so she is atypical for most of the characters that I usually end up creating, but it's, it really is appropriate for, I believe, what she's grown up with. She was a, a fun character to read. Thank and, you. And you traveled to Warsaw with your mom for the research yes. component. And all of your other titles are in different areas. So the last bookshop in London, of course, is London. Uh, the Librarian Spy is Portugal and France. What was your visit to Poland like? And do you travel often for your research? So going to Warsaw was really amazing. Um, you know, after when the Nazis left, they destroyed a lot of the buildings. And so like 85% of Warsaw was destroyed. And so they took all these remaining pieces of these buildings, like these large chunks of rubble, and they rebuilt buildings with the new framing the old. So think of it almost like a citywide jigsaw puzzle, right? So it was really incredible to get to go there and see all of that rebuilding and how successful they were in doing that. And then also we were staying in Old Town. And whenever I go to a place, again, history nerd here, the first thing I like to do is go to my, my um, maps and I, I type in museums and I get to see what everything, oh my goodness, there were so many museums within less than a mile of me. Um, so it was really incredible getting to go. Like they had the Uprising Museum, for example. I spent three days in the Uprising Museum and my mom was a trooper. She hung in there with me the whole time. The food was amazing. I remember at one point, like they had this like kind of like gray, like khaki gray soup. And I was like, hmm. And they're like, oh, it's called sour soup. And I was like, hmm. And I thought, well, I have to try it because my characters would eat it. So I have to eat it. Oh my gosh. It was the best thing ever. We ended up eating it. Like I think every single day while we were there and we had this amazing tour guide that I had hired to really, because when I, when I do a lot of this research and I travel, I know what details I need to kind of fill in the cracks of my knowledge. And so I, I find these amazing private tour guides and I'll send them an email and say, oh, I really need this, 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 and this. 
And sometimes they've come back and they've said, I think you know more about World War II in my country than I do. So I'm probably not the person that you need. Um, and then other times people get really excited and they're like, oh, I don't know that, but I find out. And, and so those are usually the tour guides that I go with because they're very passionate about getting to share, you know, what their country, like how their country was able to get through those really horrible times. And so, um, so we had this amazing tour guide named Ava who had like the most amazing parallel parking skills. Like I swear it was like <laughs> magic. Um, <laughs> But she, I, we would go on these tours and she never stopped telling me just all of this incredible information. Every question I had, she had an amazing answer. I mean, she, she really was just so invaluable for helping. Do you travel often for your research? I really do try to. I couldn't do it for the last bookshop in London because I was writing it during the pandemic. Um, however, I had been to London many times before. Um, because being my dad being in the army, we lived there for uh, in Germany for 12 years. So we were able to travel around Europe quite a bit. And so I had been to London um, many times before. So I still had a feel of that atmosphere. And um, and then when I went, I did get to go to Lyon, France for my research with the French side of uh, the librarian spy. And um, that was Elaine's character. And she was working with the underground printing press. And while I was there, I got to see the actual printing press that the woman who inspired Elaine's character used to create the clandestine newspapers during the Nazi occupation. And for oh, me, cool. that was like nerd alert. I was so excited. I, I took like a million pictures. Only one came out because I didn't have my flash on. But it was so cool getting to see that. And then um, going to Portugal, that was another one. Um, like we got to like witness like going to the Fado, like like hearing that beautiful music tasting the amazing food. The people, I remember when I was researching um, the librarian spy, everybody said how warm and welcoming the Portuguese were. And when I went there, I found it to be exactly the same. And, and the tour guide there had a grandmother who was 101 at the time. And she remembered when all the refugees were coming into Lisbon. And so she actually got to share a lot of what her grandmother was talking about with that. So I do feel very, very lucky to have the opportunity to do these trips because they really, it's almost like I have this black and white picture in my mind. And when I do these trips and I'm really so focused on my research, it just paints this beautiful, vivid world in my head. All the travel sounds amazing. And I am a museum nerd as well. So I probably would have been geeking out with you <laughs> I love it. for a long time. <laughs> And are you able to share any locations you might be scouting for, um, you know, research in the future or <laughs> is that under wraps? Well, actually, my next book is going to be set in Nottingham, England. So I'm going back to England again. And you may see some cameos from the last bookshop in London appear in this one. Oh, fun. I'm looking at the name of it yet, though, because <laughs> yeah. I think they're still waiting to approve it. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. And I did actually go to Nottingham. Um, my youngest daughter came with me for Nottingham and we popped up to London for a little bit while we were there as well. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> we got to go to the Harry Potter, uh, the Harry Potter world and everything. It was really Ooh, neat. Ooh, I yeah, want to go to that Harry too. Potter that it was awesome. It was totally worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm hoping to go next summer with my family. So maybe I'll add that specifically in our, our England, maybe into oh, Scotland trip. Yes. Okay. And make sure you book it way in advance because it books up. <laughs> oh, good note. Okay. We'll do. <laughs> so uh, what initially drew you to writing? Because obviously you've, you've written some more historical, you've written more romance. What drew you to those two genres? Is there 
a connection between them or is it the styles that make them kind of partner up well? You know, I think it really just has a lot to do with history and enjoying history. What really got me into writing romance was um, when I was on maternity leave with my first daughter, I was reading Diana Gabaldon's Outlander series, which just blew me away. I absolutely, absolutely loved it. And um, I thought, oh, how how lovely to write a character who's like the brawny Scotsman and like this feisty English lass, you know? And so, so I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll write a romance. And that sort of, I, I kind of went in that direction. You know, it's, it's funny because I feel like with writing historical romance, it almost sort of paved the way unintentionally for me to write historical fiction because um, I never really settled into one particular time period in history with my romance. I was writing like the, the 1700s originally. And then I thought, oh, well, what about medieval? So I researched medieval for a year and then I wrote medieval. And I thought, what about Regency? So I researched Regency for a year. And then once I started writing historical fiction, I realized, oh my gosh, it's the research. I just really love the research. And so I really do feel like I have sort of found my niche with writing historical fiction because I get to completely nerd out on all these nonfiction books and museums for like 10 months. And then remember that I have a deadline and frantically get it done in time. (laughs) Unless, of course, I start over, then I usually need a little more time. (laughs) And you mentioned earlier the underground press in the library and spy, and it plays a role again in the keeper of the hidden books in a different way, a underground press. Can you share a little bit more about how the underground press plays a cool like just plot device? Yeah. So, I mean, the really the underground aspect of uh, all of the Polish resistance really was so integral to fighting back. So, um, you know, they had book production where Nazi was the Nazis were destroying these books. The Poles were still making books and they had these secret little ways of being able to actually still publish books. So they would write the publication date like it was published before the war had come out. So if it was ever found, they wouldn't know that it was a new book. They would assume that it was like published in 1938. And they had a certain little symbol that they used. And I I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, because now, of course, I'm researching a new book. So my head is crammed with all that Nottingham facts and everything. And they did have all of these publications as well. So these underground, really the underground newspapers were there to not only offset all of the disinformation that Germany was trying to spread, But it was also trying to encourage people to join the resistance because the larger they could make their resistance, the greater power they had to fight back. And sort of on that note, so my book comes out on August 1st. And the reason why this date is so incredibly amazing to me is that was the day that the Warsaw Uprising started. This was five years of Nazi oppression of, you know, people being killed and arrested for no reason and everybody wanting so hard to fight back, and finally, finally, finally having decided, okay, this is the day. We're going to fight back at 5 p.m. So 5 p.m. was W hour on August 1st, and to this day, on August 1st at 5 p.m., all of Warsaw goes completely silent with sirens and alarms blaring to celebrate the Polish resistance rising up against the Nazis. So it is a very, very important date even still today. So the fact that my book comes out that day it like gave me chills when I found out. <laughs> was it happenstance? Did Was it just like, just happened to be? Completely happy? happenstance. My original date was supposed to be the 4th of July. Oh, this <laughs> is way better. Way I think better. This is way, way better. Yeah. <laughs> kind of building off that, obviously, that's a, the book birthday is on a very kind of monumentous day for the setting of the book. Do you celebrate book birthdays? 
I, I try to, but you know, um, I have written over 30 romances and this will be my fourth historical fiction. And when you start to have a lot of kids, sometimes you might forget all their birthdays. <laughs> but at least when they come out, you'll, you'll celebrate. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yes. Although I will say um, usually release days are a little bit frantic, um, especially kind of gearing up for, for book tours. And then like, there are so many wonderful people who share the release. I want to make sure that I thank all of them, like on social media and everything. And so, so it does get a little bit busy, but there's always still some champagne and cake involved. <laughs> Much needed. Yes. <laughs> and I find historical fiction set during World War II Despite all the horrific things that happened, for me, it's comfort reads. I don't fully know why. I think it's partly often the ones I read is a female lead, which I appreciate. And then it's my grandparents' generation. So my grandmother would have been in high school. My grandfather was fighting in the Pacific. For you, uh, what draws you to World War II uh, in both writing and reading? So, you know, it's something that I've actually, I've read way longer than I ever started writing, um, which is actually why when I decided to write historical fiction, I went with World War II because it was, it was sort of, you know, that was kind of like my comfort. I would always go to that. And, you know, for me, I think really what it comes down to is how brave people were back then. Like, I mean, it's so easy to say, oh, I totally would have done that. But, but would we, I mean, when you think about the fact that like your children could be killed right in front of you or your grandparents, or, you know, like the people that we love and we hold dear, those are the ones who, of course they attack because they want to try to make sure that people are too afraid to do anything. So these things that people did oftentimes for people that they didn't even know, it's really incredible how much they sacrificed and put on the line to help other people to do what was right. And then even just the, the workarounds, you know, like I like right now, like with writing a book set in England again and, and reading about how people worked around the ration. And, you know, that's so fascinating. I really feel like books almost kind of like give us like an insight into survival should an event happen like this. And so, you know, as we're reading these things, our brain are kind of like storing away these little ideas. And, and so when you hear about how people work around things like blackouts and rationing and, and things like that, like it really is very, very interesting. It's so fascinating. Kind of going off that, you know, obviously are introducing people to some history they might not be as, as intimately familiar as, as they could be. To what extent do you think fiction or historical fiction can improve human life? Well, you know, I think, first of all, I, and most importantly, I think that it keeps in people's minds things that need to be remembered forever. The Holocaust, for example, needs to be remembered forever. Like the atrocities that people have committed on other people, those are the things that need to remain forefront. But I also think that there are so many heroes in history who really have fallen through the cracks and they put so much on the line. And, and it's so wonderful to think that we can keep their memories alive forever through writing these historical fiction novels, because not everybody, not everybody's a nonfiction nerd like me and, you know, wants to read all of the nonfiction books. And so I feel like fiction, historical fiction really offers a way not only to, to share these people with the world again, but to put them in their shoes and really share that full experience with them. So one of your characters is Marta Krakowska, who mm -hmm. is a Polish author, and your your lead Sophia loves her work. And they ask Marta a question. So I was going to ask you the same question. Mm -hmm. So how do you write such strong and powerful emotion? Um, you know, they always say like, write what you know, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I have never lived during World War II. Um, I have never been a Duke <laughs> or a Scottish Highlander uh, or a lady of a castle, unfortunately. 
But really, I think when they say like, write what you know, it really is like, you know, I know what it is to have disappointment. I know what it is to have loss. You know, I know what it is to have hope. And so really, even though you haven't like, I haven't lived through the situations that they have lived through, I know how I feel when I've encountered those specific emotions. And so it it kind of, it helps you learn the tune of that chord so you can Mm -hmm. pluck it. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. Yeah, and they still had you had two different answers even in your book too. So that was that was interesting. It was like, I don't know yeah, that, or maybe this. <laughs> well, and also the answer that Marta Krakowska gives to Zofia is actually mm-hmm. part of her learning process with her character arc as well. Oh, that makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. So we promised a little bit of fun when we were pitching this to you. Uh, one, <laughs> one of the games that we like to play Not here. <laughs> you might know as a different name, but we call it Kiss Mary Ditch. Okay. Uh, so I've got a couple different categories here that I've got hidden behind category names. And inside those categories, there are three things that you will tell us, one that you like, one that you love, and one that you will get rid of. Okay. So I'm going to make you choose these categories. You're not going to know completely what's inside them. You might have a hint, but we'll see. I spy. It's getting Scott in here. Sneakers and mouse pads. Okay. I will go with it's getting Scott in here. No, it's we are going to talk about places in Scotland. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> you got to choose like love and get rid of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, the Isle of Skye, and Stirling Castle. Um, That's hard. So I have to choose one to get rid of? You got to choose one to get rid of. Okay. I will get rid of, you know, it's midgy season on Isle of Skye. I'll get rid of Isle of Skye. <laughs> <laughs> Just because the midgies. <laughs> Just to kind of give you a hint of what the other categories would have been from mouse pads, we would have made you choose three rides out of Disney World, because I know you're a Disney fan. <laughs> you would have had to choose Space Mountain, Pirates of the Caribbean, or Haunted Mansion. Do you want me to still do them? <laughs> sure, go for it. I'm going to go with Space Mountain because I don't do roller coasters. Not at all, huh? No, I know. I'm a, I'm a roller coaster wimp. <laughs> I'm all in like the easy rides. Sneakers, I would have made you choose fictional spies. We would have had uh, Natasha Romanoff from Black Widow, Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible, or Sterling Archer from Archer. Oh, wow. I love Archer. <laughs> um, I'd have to go with uh, the second one. You're going to get rid of Ethan Hunt? Yeah. Oh, Tom Cruise is sad with you. I know. <laughs> and I Spy is uh, which historical uh, time period would you most likely to have wanted to be a spy in? A World War II France, medieval Scotland, or Cold War like Russian cryptography? Um, I would go with World War II France because I've done so much research. I feel like I would really know like what to do. And also I don't speak medieval. That sounds like, you guys ever listen to it? I have not. Oh my gosh. See if you can, uh, there's like somebody who reads this like document from like the eight, eight hundreds or something like that. And it literally sounds like that. So I think that I would completely stick out. Like, uh, <laughs> translator, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Google Translate is like, I don't know, girl, you're on your own. <laughs> those were all great, though. Thank you for putting those together. <laughs> Without spoilers, there is the universal elements of a book club. Discussion takes concepts of a book and personalizes it with each book club member. And they really do allow you to share so much with each other, even if they're strangers amongst a book club and you see things from different perspectives and you did that very well in your book. So are you a current member of of a book club or 
have you been a longstanding book club member? So I actually do have a neighborhood book club here. And the funny thing is I got invited to it um, to actually talk about the last bookshop in London when it came out. And I went there and had such a blast talking to them and they kept feeding me wine. And then they asked if I wanted to join and I was like, heck yeah. So um, so now I've, I've been going every single month and, and we always call ourselves a wine club that likes books. And we also like to do a therapy lunch once a month as well. And we're all going to the Barbie movie this weekend. (laughs) Oh, fun. That'll be a lot of fun. So it's been really wonderful. And, you know, one of the best things about a book club, I think, is I've had the opportunity to read some books that I would probably have never picked up myself, but I've absolutely loved them. So, um, so yeah, so I think that's one of the best things about joining a book club, aside from the wine. I enjoy the, the, reading out of my comfort zone and then, and also seeing books where I was like, maybe I didn't like it, but someone else really enjoyed it and getting their perspective. I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't yeah. as bad as I thought. No, <laughs> absolutely though. It is, it is really interesting to see what people do like about certain books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be interesting as an author. I don't know. Like, do you learn how readers read when you're just like observing Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's so hard to turn off the analytical part of my brain. You know, um, it's funny because even with reading a book, if I'm reading a book and I'm so completely like absorbed in it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this book is so good. This little voice in the back of my mind is like, but why? You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so when we're talking about books and people are saying the things that they do enjoy about them and don't enjoy about them. That little voice in the back of my head is like all ears. <laughs> Outside of our soup, do you have any personal anecdotes um, or of, of how your research has led you and your writing to a deeper appreciation of history or anything that you've discovered that is just super weird? Um, let me think. No, I can't. I mean, I'm sure that there have been there have been things that have really shocked me. I was really surprised when I was writing The Librarian Spy that I learned that the guy who played Leslie from Gone with the Wind, that he was killed in a plane crash from Lisbon. The plane was actually shot down because the rumor has it that they thought that um, Churchill was on the airplane. And so, but that's the plane crash that he died in. Literally, it got shot down out of the sky by enemy aircraft. And that was really shocking because, you know, you don't really think about 1940s Hollywood stars kind of being shot out of the, the sky like that. And so that was that was really shocking. That's like kind of the main one that kind of popped in my head. <laughs> I'm sure there's all kinds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stuck out when I was reading too. And I didn't think about the fact of like civilian travel versus in a time of war. Like it, it made that point stick as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How dangerous. Yeah, it really can be. One element of the Keeper of Hidden Books is the long list of banned books provided by the German soldiers, especially books featuring the Polish authors and stories and culture. So what has writing this title, where Zofia and the other librarians are working hard to save these culturally significant titles from disappearing and then today's rise in book banning across the United States been like, kind of concurrently? Yeah. You know, and and the interesting thing is I really was not even, I really am like such a history nerd. I really wasn't even thinking about the contemporary aspect of it when I was writing this book, because I really was just completely immersed in this time period when I was writing this book. And then um, I was going through my galleys and, you know, kind of doing a final read through and I was procrastinating and um, (laughs) I had the local news pulled up and I happened to read this article that was talking about this list of books that they were going to be banning for the upcoming school year. And, and it hit me then, oh my gosh, my book is unfortunately very timely 
you know, and really its approach to discussing book banning. But I almost think that because I didn't approach this book with an agenda, I'm hoping that that does make it come across as as genuine as it was intended to be and, and letting people just realize why these books that were being banned were so incredibly important. And, um, you know, not to get too much on the topic, but I feel like, you know, when it comes to book banning, the ideas that these books like, OK, so when when you write a book, you want people to experience what that character is experiencing. And oftentimes we will never have had those experiences as we are as people. So it gives us an opportunity to learn somebody else, to accept their culture, to accept their mindset, to accept them as a person. And in banning those books, it shuts those doors and it keeps those people faceless. And when you don't have a face to something, it's easier to, to hate. You know, and so that's why I think it's so important to have books because it keeps open hearts and open minds and it really makes this beautiful community of, of acceptance and love. So beautifully stated. Thank you. <laughs> feel very strongly about it. Is there a historical period that you haven't written yet that you'd love to, to do in future novels? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, honestly, this is probably really weird, but the bubonic plague time period is uh, one that I would absolutely love to do a historical fiction novel on at some point. I actually wrote a romance during the bubonic plague, which my friends were like, oh, yeah, Madeline, you're real romantic there. <laughs> but um, that one's called Layla's Legacy, if anybody wants to, to <laughs> find how I incorporated bubonic plague into romance. But so that time period, um, the Tudors is an era that I've always, always loved. Um, and that's, I loved it before the Tudors came out. Um, I'm old school like that. So, um, but I mean, honestly, like anytime I start learning about any time period in history, my brain starts tick, 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 thinking of all these amazing ideas. And I'm like, oh, I could write this book and that book. And yeah, <laughs> I'll never live long enough to write all the books that I want to, even if I live to be like 150. When you're writing, do you, do you restrict your media diet in any sort of way? Um, no, huh? I, I listen to and read everything and, and do everything. And, but I will say that whenever I'm writing a book, it's like my, my mind is always open to things that could influence that book. For example, um, like if I'm watching a movie or something and I start crying, I'm like, why do I kind of like what I was talking about earlier when I read a book that I love, why do I love this book? So what about this scene is making me, you know, so weepy, like what would I love so much about this scene? And like, how could I maybe like, um, replicate those feelings that I'm feeling like this in my book somehow? Um, and I'm not talking like, like, obviously like plagiarism, like stealing a scene or anything. It's just like, what about this is giving me the feels or whatever, you know, like if you see somebody out walking and they have like a certain habit or something like that reminds me of one of my characters. And so now all of a sudden, one of my characters will kind of adopt one of those habits that I saw somebody on the street. It's like you just sort of absorb everything. So, yeah. <laughs> what is a typical writing day like for you? Chaos. I'm a mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the funny thing is I've been writing on my own now, like like full time for about two and a half years um, before that. I was working as a business analyst and I was writing romance and so I was writing like six to eight books a year. And then I have, you know, my kids were younger. So my running joke then was that I was a full-time business analyst, full-time writer and a full-time mom. And so I didn't sleep very much. Um, but now my running joke is that I'm a full-time mom with this little writing gig on the side. And my kids are like, yep, that sounds appropriate. <laughs> so um, really, you know, I mean, my children always come first with everything. And sometimes that doesn't always leave a ton of time for me. And so 
I kind of just write in bits and chunks and pieces wherever I happen to have time. A lot of times it's like four o'clock in the morning. And then sometimes it's like, uh, you know, like nine o'clock at night, which is about as late as I can stay up anymore these days. <laughs> well, it's very early to be, have your brain functioning. I'm impressed. I know. Thank you. <laughs> Going, jumping back to the six or eight books at a time. How many story kernels would you say you juggle at a time? So um, it's actually pretty shameful now. I only usually do one book at a time. I know it's not, (laughs) I went from like six to eight books a year with like full-time job. And now that I'm writing full-time, it's like one book a year. But I will say that like with my historical fiction, it is definitely very labor intense with how much research I put into them. And so I really do just completely, I pretty much just give myself over for an entire year into one of my historical fiction novels, which is why the research is is so incredibly thorough, but I love it. And is there a nonfiction title that you would pair, like if you were to recommend to someone who reads your book that is about the Polish history in World War II, is there one that you're like, this one was amazing and you should read this? Um, so there was one really amazing one, but I don't even know if it's something that would be readily available for people. Um, because I, every now and then I troll through a books and like, just kind of see like what pops up. And I found this amazing book called Nazi Culture in Poland. And it was written by people in the Polish resistance during 1941 and 1942 about everything that was happening. And it was sent on little scraps of paper to London where the Polish government was in exile. And they compiled all of that. It took forever because they had to translate it and they had all these tiny little scraps of paper that they had to piece together. And so they finally compiled it on November 11th, 1945. And so they had this, this like really incredible foreword in the very beginning that was basically saying, you know, by the time that you read this, most of the people who have contributed to this book have already been killed um, for their contribution and their efforts and trying to to get out what's happening. Um, But then also November 11th is basically like the national Polish holiday. So the fact that they published it on November 11th was really, really huge and and basically saying, you know, hopefully that this will be the mark of good things to come in the future, that this will never have to be experienced again. And that particular book was so integral because it, it incorporated every aspect of living from libraries and bookstores to food, to childcare, to clothing, to, I mean, just everything and how, how the Nazis really were uh, incorporating, like how completely consuming, like the lives of people in Poland. Oh, it's an amazing collection yeah. of first person narrative. Oh, and- it, was, it was amazing. It's like falling apart. It's like all yellow. It smells amazing. I mean, it's because <laughs> it's like, it, it's from, you know, 1945. It's really incredible. I wonder if it could be on interlibrary loan. Maybe one of the academic libraries would still have it for someone yeah, to borrow. Maybe. I can try mm-hmm. to send you, um, I can send you the A books link if I can find it um, that I had had. So maybe you could just meet, I don't know if it'll has like a, you know, number or something. I don't know. Sure, it was, I mean, I'm telling you, it was like 20 bucks and I was like, I don't know what I'm getting. Is there a picture? <laughs> and I just like clicked like, well, can I ever buy it? And then like a month later it came in the mail and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't even believe this. Like I, I read that forward, you know, that, and I, I like just got choked up. Like it just, it was really, really powerful. Impressive. Yeah. It was, it was really amazing. Got a couple of quick questions here. We're going to try to breeze through as many of these as we can in a minute here. All right. Um, do you learn by watching or doing? Um, watching. No, doing. <laughs> do you correct people's grammar? Just my kids and my husband. They probably hate it. <laughs> but secretly in my head, I do I do for other people. 
place that you want to visit but haven't yet? Um, Greece. Something you wish you had done? Oh, goodness. Um, you know what? Honestly, I've really lived a pretty amazing life and I've gotten to do a lot of things that I wanted to do. So I, I really I don't have anything. <laughs> Least favorite word? Supposedly, because so many people say supposedly and that drives me crazy. <laughs> Something you wish you had written? Um, let's see. Oh, Nightingale. Kristen Hannah's The Nightingale. That yeah. was good. That book was like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, The Nightingale is one where I remember staying up into like two o'clock in the morning to finish. <laughs> I don't oh, do yeah. that very often, but that one, I stayed awake. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've listened to that one a couple of times. It's it's a, such a good book. Yeah. It is, it is. What are you currently reading slash watching? Um, so I um, am currently, I actually just finished reading Only the Beautiful by Susan Meissner. Oh my gosh, that was so, so, so good. Um, it was about sterilization and everything in the thirties and forties in America all and sort of another character's uh, POV was about her being in Germany um, or in Austria rather while sterilization was happening um, for people who were disabled. And, um, and just, I mean, it's just, it's an incredible, incredible story about like motherhood and love and, and it's just so powerful. So um, I highly recommend that. And then watching, um, I'm currently watching Victoria with my husband. I am very, very lucky. And my husband watches all the historical dramas with me. He's amazing. That's why he's called Mr. Awesome. And so we're watching Victoria right now. And it's really great. <laughs> I want to watch that too. So good. <laughs> Be prepared to get totally sucked in. Okay. Prepared. <laughs> we kind of use this as a barometer for things that are coming. Strangest thing in your search history. Oh, gosh. Um historically or like just recently? Yeah, whichever you want to go with. Okay. So the bubonic plague, because when I was writing that romance about the bubonic plague, I kept looking up symptoms of the bubonic plague so much um, and like details about it that I was expecting people to show up in hazmat suits <laughs> at my front door. <laughs> so that's probably that one. <laughs> and we are a library podcast. How have libraries impacted your life? They have been a huge impact in my life. Um, I was an army brat, so I was constantly moving around every four years. And I've become a lot more outgoing as a person because of that. But when I was younger, I was painfully, painfully shy. And so every time I would move to a new place, I had a really hard time making friends, especially when they were not military bases, when they were like set places where everyone had had their same friends since birth and everyone kind of had their cliques. And so I would always end up the library. And the librarians were always sort of like my best friends before my before my own age group was because I would get a new book every single day. And, um, you know, in those books, that's where I really found like camaraderie and I found people who who got me and, who, you know, who who like were on the same wavelength that I was. And um, and so librarians have always been such a big and special part of my life. You guys are real superheroes, in my opinion. Just saying. <laughs> so as we kind of wrap up here, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Let's see. Um, I guess just if you want to check me out on social media, um, you, my website um, has all of my upcoming events. I'm going to be doing a whole book tour in August. So you can see if I'm coming to your city and state. Um, but that's just MadelineMartin.com. My Facebook is Madeline Martin Author and my Instagram and Twitter are at Madeline M. Martin because somebody else got Madeline Martin first. <laughs> 
But aside from that, I'm just really grateful that you guys had me coming here and chatting with you today. This has been so fun. No, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed all of your books that I've read so far. I've just read the three historical fictions and they've been wonderful. And fun side note. So the way I got started in reading your books is we had a library program and usually my position, I host programming. And so one of my friends um, did a presentation on shorebirds and we were waiting for it to begin. And so we were just chatting about books we were reading. And so she had recommended the last bookshop in London. And I, I started that and I was like, oh, I am hooked. So, so it was a fun way to discover you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Madeline, for joining us on Unstacked. The Keeper of Hidden Books will soon be available in the library collection for checkout. It can also be purchased to your favorite bookstore and online vendors. Check out her website, madelinemartin.com. That's M-A-D-E-L-I-N-E-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. Stay safe and read, my friend. It's good for you. Bye. Bye.